Welcome to Searchlight, a survey through Scripture with Pastor John Corson. It is our desire to bring you a systematic study of the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. On our last Searchlight program, we began a verse-by-verse study of the last two chapters of the book of Joshua. In these chapters, we are seeing Joshua give encouragement and exhortation to the people of Israel. The things that Joshua is telling Israel also apply to us. They are the words of a godly man who has walked with the Lord for many years. He has seen the faithfulness of God and is encouraging others to continue to walk in God's faithfulness. As we join John today in chapter 23, Joshua is recounting the things that God has done for Israel. As you hear these, you may want to also consider the great things that God has done for you. Here now is Pastor John. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, in this addressing of the leaders, he says, Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain, to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off even to the great sea westward. That is the Mediterranean Sea. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised you. I like verse 5. Joshua says, Consider what the Lord has done and know there's still more he's going to do. He shall expel, verse 5, that is the remaining peoples, the enemies that are hiding away, that are still holding on to various little territorial regions. The armies have been defeated, but there's still pockets of resistance. But here Joshua says, the Lord is going to expel, but notice verse 5 goes on to say, you're to possess. I have this underlined, he shall expel, and I also have underlined, and you shall possess. That's the key. God will do his part, but you've got to do your part. He shall expel, but you got to possess. Like in this area of, of God's work and our work, the cooperation, the partnering that we've talked about, In the area, because we've been addressing it in this book of Joshua, the spirit-filled life. And example is speaking in tongues. Been getting some questions of late on that once again. And people say, well, I'm open and I've been waiting. And I say, wait a minute. He shall do his part, but you've got to do your part. It says in the book of Acts that they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They spoke as the Spirit gave promptings. That's the key. They had to speak. They were prompted, but then they had to do their part and speak as the Spirit gave them promptings. 
In spiritual life, if a person doesn't understand that, they'll never move in to all of the land that God has for him or for her or for them. You can sit there hour after hour, day after day, and say, well, I'm open to speaking in tongues if God wants to somehow move my tongue. It won't work that way. Any more than I would say, well, I'm open to praying in English if he wants to make me. It's not going to happen. When I begin to pray in English, the Lord then begins to meet me and inspire and stir and lead. Paul says, I will pray with understanding and I will pray with the Spirit also, you see. In this area of spiritual life, God will do, but you have to cooperate too. And that's what Joshua is saying. He shall expel, but you shall possess. God will do his part, but you've got to do your part. And that's true in any arena or any aspect of spiritual life. How much more God wants to do for me and with me and through me and in me. But I've got to do my part, you see. I can't just sit passively. And that's what Joshua is saying. God's going to expel them, but you've got to possess then that territory. Be therefore, verse 6, very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that you come not among these nations, the heathens, these that remain among you, neither make mention of their name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves to them, but cleave, verse 8, to the Lord your God, as you have done this day. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you, verse 10, shall chase a thousand. I like that. That's a great scripture. God's with you, so you... And God, just the two of you, can chase a thousand of the enemy. You and God are a majority, is what Joshua is saying. The Lord your God, verse 10 goes on to say, He it is that fights for you as he's promised you. So take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that you love the Lord your God. Else, if you do in any wise go back, and cleave to the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you, know for a certainty, verse 13, that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes, until... You perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Behold, verse 14, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one good thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you. And not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, 
so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he hath destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you. And you've gone and served other gods and bowed yourself to them. Then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you. And you shall perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord hath given you. I like this man, Joshua. He tells it like it is. God has blessed you, he says. He's fought for you. He's going to be with you. He's got great things ahead of you, but know this. He's talking to leaders here, to mature men. But know this, if you go back, if you choose to go back, if that's what you decide to do, backtrack, go back, pull away, you need to understand that there's going to be some serious and sad repercussions. You're going to have real problems. A couple things to note here. The possibility of going back, number one. The possibility of going back. How could it be? How could it be that people that have seen the blessings of God and marched into the promised land, which pictures, illustrates, depicts the spirit-filled life, Here they are, been given a grand land, successful and fruitful. God has been with them. But Joshua says to those leaders, careful. Know for a certainty that you are going to go through some real difficulties if you go back. If you go back. I'll never forget my pastor who gave that sermon when I was just a little guy, three years of age, one Sunday night, as I was sitting there in the pew. The little church there in Willow Glen, California, was hot that summer night. No air conditioning in those days, not in that church. And he was teaching a sermon that I remember perfectly. Normally, my custom was to lay down on the pew and go to sleep during Sunday night meetings. But this night, he was talking about the devil, and he was talking about hell. And how Satan, the devil, had a stopwatch in his hand and saw the time ticking away and knew that his hour was come. He knew that his time was up. So he was grabbing for every man, woman, girl, or boy to grab them and take them in his hand and pull them into hell with him forever. And I sat there and listened to that. It was a hot night. Sweat was rolling down my face. It really was. It was one of those hot summer evenings, and I just was riveted. And he gave an invitation. And my mom and dad were next to me. I didn't even look at them. I just stood up and ran down the aisle. And I got saved that night. I truly, really was saved that night. It's a very vivid memory, very wonderful, real moment that God met me. I just knew I didn't want the devil to grab me. I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to 
be in heaven, you know, and the Lord used that and met me and saved my soul in a very real way. And by the way, if you have kids that are three, four, five, whatever, understand this. They have a perception of the Lord that maybe you don't. Because kids, there's just something that's unique in those years and those ages in which the cynicism and skepticism and bitterness and all the rest isn't there in the same way it is when you're old, when you're 20 or 30 or whatever age we might be. And the Lord really met me. The next Sunday, Sunday morning, I was in church. My folks normally sat in the middle on the side section middle and and I went down and sat in the front row by myself I went right down to the front row and I sat there with my my Bible that I couldn't read but nonetheless I had it in my hand and I sat there and pastor was in the middle of his message and he stopped he walked down the steps and grabbed me and brought me up to the platform and set me on the pulpit I'll never forget this and I sat there and he had me face the congregation I was sitting on the pulpit there must have been 40, 50,000 people out there. I'm not sure. <laughs> it seemed that way to me. It really did. I mean, there was probably 120 folks or what have you, but it seemed like 50,000 to me. And he talked about what happened to me the previous night, the previous Sunday night, when I came forward and how he prayed with me and all the rest. And and and. He, he really just, I sat there and, and, and he said, and the Lord is going to use this young man, you know, and all of that. Put me back down again. I went and sat in the front row where I would from then on sit. And uh, it was a wonderful thing. And, and I can recall, oh my goodness, this guy, he was not necessarily a scholar, a biblical scholar, but man, he could really preach a sermon. One time shortly thereafter, he brought in a birdcage with a little sparrow that uh, he had uh, uh, been nurturing back to health that kind of went down in his backyard and he was kind of nurturing the sparrow back to health and he gave this message on that song his eye is on the sparrow so I know he watches me and the bird was singing away and ah great message you know all that stuff and uh, great great guy went from there from the church at Willow Glen, Calvary Temple, went on from there to become uh, quite active in the college scene and did then become quite scholarly as time went on, picked up some extra educational degrees and ultimately became the president of a fairly well-known Bible college in the Santa Cruz Mountains and uh, just serving the Lord. And, And I love this man. At 68, at 68, he left his family walked away. He was the chancellor of the Bible college, well known in the denomination at that time, a tender man, a guy that influenced so many of us in such a wonderful way. At the age of 68, he just ran off, took off with a gal and ran away from his family and that was it. And you know, I ponder that at 68, how could that be? And then I realize, yes, it can be, because we're involved in a war. We are attacked constantly by a very real adversary, a roaring lion, who goes about seeking whom he may devour. And it can happen at any time. You might be 
28, you might be 48, you might be 68, or you might be 88, you're not home free. Not until you get to heaven. Never forget that. You're not home free. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord or how deep your love is for him or how broad your knowledge is about him. There is a war going on. It's a real war. And Joshua here is telling these leaders, the elders, men of maturity, this is what's going to happen. You've seen God bless you. You know how good he's been to you. But if you choose to go back, this is what's going to happen to you. What will happen? Well, after discussing the possibility of going back, he talks about the problems with going back. Defeat, verse 13. Know for a certainty, the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. You're going to be defeated. And not only defeated, but you're going to be discomforted. These enemies, verse 13, shall be scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes. You're going to have defeat and you're going to have discomfort. Listen, if I decide, if you decide, if we decide to backslide, know this. It is going to be painful. Big time. It will be like thorns in your eyes and scourges in your sides. I can't help but think of the one who knew no sin, who became sin for us. Thorns. There in his eyes, the crown of thorns going around his head, scourges on his back and on his sides, and, and the spear thrust through his side. And, and we see, when we look at Jesus on the cross, that's what sin does. It wasn't his sin, it was mine. It's what sin, it's what backsliding, it's what disobedience will do. Can I ask you honestly, are you contemplating backsliding some in here are. You're flirting with the idea. You're already kind of looking around and saying, hmm, this might be an option for me. Maybe I can pull back or go back or go there. Whatever the case might be, know this. What you see, what we see happening to Jesus on the cross is going to happen to you. It's going to crucify you. And Joshua, Jesus, if you would, loves me and loves you and loves us enough to say, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off the land. And I think of Jesus, thorns in his eyes and scourges in his sides as he was raised off the land and he was suspended on the cross. And I realize that's what's going to happen and that's what does happen. It's very ugly. John, we know that. I know you know it. But I need to be reminded of this tonight. And so do you. Because this is in the Word. Talking to mature people like you. Saying, this is what's going to happen. Defeat. 
discomfort and disgrace. Verse 16, the third thing that we see will happen to those that choose to turn away, to go back, that they shall be taken off the good land. Verse 16, last phrase says, which he has given to you. And they were disgraced in that way. Taken out of the land. When? 722 B.C., when they turned away from the Lord and worshipped other gods, the Assyrians came and took off their clothes, not the Assyrians' clothing, the people of Israel. They were forced to be naked, disgraced, with with hooks in their jaws, literally fish hooks in their jaws. The Assyrians cruelly tied one person to the next in long lines with hooks in their jaws, just like the prophets said would happen. And they were marched nakedly with hooks in their jaws through the desert back up to Assyria. The ten tribes in 722 disgraced. Later on in 586, the Babylonians came down and dealt with the tribe of Judah and, and, and burned the temple and destroyed the city and carried those Jews down in Judah away into captivity Later on in 165 B.C., the madman Antiochus Epiphanes makes his way and and disgraces the people, humiliates them, going so far to make a long story short of taking a pig and slaughtering the pig, an unclean animal, in the Jewish temple and smearing pig blood in the Holy of Holies. Disgrace. And the Romans in A.D. 70 destroyed the second temple. The city was burned with fire. And the Jews were told by Hadrian in 130 A.D. Hadrian said, if any two Jews are talking together in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem, they will be executed. And on and on it goes into Europe. During the time of the Black Plagues, the Jews were blamed for the Black Plague because they weren't being infected at the same rate as other Europeans were. Why? Because they were following kosher laws, the rules of Moses, and they were kept healthy because of that. But they didn't understand that was why. The Europeans said, you guys are not getting sick like we are because you're the devil. The Inquisition there in Spain, many of you know the story, the, the, the racks, the stretching, the burning, the torturing of Jews by the tens of thousands in Spain during the Spanish Inquisition, going on and on until finally you come to Auschwitz and Treblinka, the Holocaust of Nazi Germany. Disgrace. Joshua says, if you choose to go back and serve other gods, this is what you can count on. Defeat discomfort, and disgrace. It applies to me, to you tonight. What can we do? Three things I want you to jot down or be aware of or think through. Three things here. First of all, in this text, here's what I can do to keep from being defeated and discomforted and disgraced. We will have to wait until our next program to find out what we can do, because we're simply out of time for today. Obviously, the repercussions to Israel were severe when they turned away from the Lord. They suffered defeat, discomfort, and disgrace. The same thing happens to us as well if we turn away from the Lord. 
Please do join us next time as Pastor John tells us how to avoid this snare. We'll see you then. This teaching is also available on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. You will also find on the website Pastor John's books and other Bible study resources. Again, the address of the website is johncorson.com. The Searchlight radio program is available as a podcast. This means that you can download the program to your mobile phone, computer, tablet, or other mobile device and listen to it at your convenience. For complete information, please check out the podcast page on the Searchlight website at johncorson.com. Searchlight is an independent ministry that is not financially supported by any church or organization. We appreciate your prayers and support. May the Lord richly bless you.